Good evening. Thank you for making a little bit of time with us as we have an opportunity to open God's Word and spend a little bit of time together. As we get started this morning, I'd like to first off open up in a word of prayer. Most gracious God, just thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. Pray that as we spend time in your Word, pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give us insight into your Word. Help us to know more about you, learn more about you, but most importantly, help our relationship with you to be strengthened as we draw closer to you. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how joyful are you? Now that may sound like a strange question to ask, especially right now. But right now is a critical time to actually ask that question. If we were to look back over the kind of the first half of 2020 and evaluate things based solely on really what is going on around us and, and what's going on around the world, it may not be filled with very much joy. But one of the valuable lessons that this year has provided us is an incredible reminder that life is fragile and that we live in a fallen world and that we're honestly not in control. You see, true joy is not going to be found in the things around us. However, can you think back over your life and can you remember a time when the entire world, every town, every village, every city, every country, every continent was impacted by the exact same thing at the exact same time? You see, what an incredible opportunity that we have right now to engage people in conversations about life, death, and eternity. So let me ask the question again. How joyful are you? I encourage you to open your Bibles and find your way to the book of Luke. Now Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's one of the four Gospels that tell about the life of Jesus as He walked on the earth. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 through 10. Now, as a means of context, we find at the end of, of Luke chapter 18, and really from the middle to the end of Luke chapter 18, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. And ultimately, He is going to Jerusalem where He is going to be crucified. So it is in that context where, where we find ourselves in a, a very familiar passage today and, and one that if you've spent any time in, in Sunday school or, or as a child or even in vacation Bible school, you're going to pick up on, uh, on the, the scene that we find ourselves in. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And he, that is Jesus, and he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer or tax collector, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was un unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, that's Jesus, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone 
to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he actually passes through Jericho. Now, when we hear Jericho, probably one of the one of the first thoughts that we have is, is really goes back to the Old Testament with Joshua. Um, if you remember, um, Joshua marched around the city uh, and through the power of God, blew trumpets and the walls literally came crumbling down. So Jericho has been around for, for quite some time. And when we come to Jericho here in Luke and, and in the New Testament, it's a very wealthy city. And in fact, Jericho is one of only three cities that had a major tax center. Capernaum and Caesarea were the other two. But Jericho had a booming agricultural economy with its palms and its, its balsam groves, which were known for their incredible aroma that they, that they put out. You may even remember hearing about the, the balm of Gilead. Um, and it, it is found in this area. Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, called this particular area a divine region. So between being located in an important trade route and the agricultural economy that they had, there were plenty of opportunities for taxation in Jericho. <laughs> Jericho is kind of what we'd call, it was big time. Uh, it was a big city. So verse 1 kind of provides us the, the scene with which we find ourselves. And as we head into verse 2, we are um, we're introduced to kind of the, the main character on, on this particular scene outside of Jesus. And it says, And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer or tax collector, and he was rich. So we're introduced to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a rich man, and he was the, the chief tax collector which meant that he was basically in a position of power. He was in a position of authority. There were, there were other people that reported to him. There were other tax gatherers or, or maybe like field agents, as we would call them, that worked for him and reported to him. Now, we're not going to spend uh, a lot of time talking about this, but it is important for us to understand contextually really kind of what's going on with, with tax collectors at this particular point in time tax collectors were not thought of in, in the highest regard. Um, in fact, if you were a Jew and you were a tax collector, you were considered scum, low life. You weren't even considered second class. You were like a third class citizen. And you were really considered a traitor. Um, because the, the taxes that they were collecting were actually Roman taxes. So you were, you were employed by the occupying enemy that would be Rome, and you were taking money from your own people, and then you were giving it back to the enemy. So now in order to be a tax collector, you had to purchase the rights, kind of like a franchise, if you will, uh, to have a, a tax booth, uh, a place where, where taxes were actually gathered. So the Roman government had their set of fees, if you will, their, their standard collection rates. But as individual tax gatherers, 
you could set whatever rates you wanted. Um, as long as you met the Roman fees, you could set whatever you wanted. Anything above and beyond what the Romans required, it was yours. Yours for the taking, if you will. You could keep it. Um, so, as you can imagine, Jews who were actually tax collectors were not thought of very highly because of that. Uh, because they were often thought of that they were stealing money from their own, their own countrymen. So as we saw in verse 2, Zacchaeus was kind of the chief of the tax collectors in this particular area. And he was very wealthy. So, does Zacchaeus have money? Absolutely. What about friends? Hmm. Probably not very many friends. Now, being a tax collector and having a, a circle of friends, if you will, well, that, that's going to be interesting to, to say the least. You probably often found yourself on the outside looking in. Um, you probably didn't have very many people that, that you could trust, much less call close friends. When you would go out, there's, there's probably a good chance that people are going to know who you are. They're going to be looking at you. Um, and quite honestly, you may go quite a distance before anybody would even speak to you, much less speak to you in a, in a positive manner. So I can't imagine that the life of a, a tax collector among your, your fellow neighbors, your fellow city folk, your fellow countrymen is not, not necessarily going to be um, maybe not all that great uh, when it comes to, to having people that you can talk to or people that you can confide in. So when we come to verse 3, it says, And he, that's Zacchaeus, he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable to because of the crowd. For he was small in stature. The idea of trying to see who Jesus was is, is that he was seeking or he was continuing to seek Jesus. He was trying to understand, trying to know more about who Jesus was. He was pursuing him. So Zacchaeus clearly knew of Jesus, had heard of him, had probably even knew things about what Jesus had done or what Jesus had taught. <laughs> Tax collectors knew other tax collectors. It's kind of like, a, um, you know, I guess the old saying goes, uh, kind of like honor among thieves, if you will. They had their own circle. Tax collectors were maybe even were the only circle of friends that they actually had. But do you remember Matthew, Jesus' disciple? Do you remember who he was and, and really what he was doing when Jesus called him? to be a disciple? Let, let's take a quick look to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 27 through 32. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 32. Nope, actually that's not right. It's Luke chapter 5, sorry. Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. And after that, and, and the after that is when the, if you remember the the scene where the four friends had carried the, the paralytic man to see Jesus and there were so many people that they couldn't get into the house and they lowered him through the roof. That, that's kind of what the after that is in regards to. After that, he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi, or Matthew, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him, or Jesus. 
and Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd, there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with other tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered him and said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners into repentance. So I wonder if Matthew and Zacchaeus knew each other. If they did, I wonder if, if Matthew had ever said anything to Zacchaeus about Jesus. Especially after Jesus had called him to be one of his disciples. And I wonder if the fact that Jesus, who drew great crowds wherever he went, was known to hang out with tax collectors, I wonder if that piqued Zacchaeus' interest to, to know more about who this Jesus is. After all, Somebody who draws great crowds and who's actually friends of tax collectors has got to kind of raise the antenna a little bit. We don't know the answers to any of those questions. But what we do know is that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus was here in Jericho right now. But there's a problem. The last half of verse 3 tells us that Zacchaeus was unable to see Jesus. Now, it wasn't because Jesus was ignoring him, and it wasn't because Jesus was denying him access. The reason that he couldn't see Jesus was because he was, <laughs> he was too short. Plain and simple, he couldn't see because he was too short. Now, we often think, or we often say, because I am, and you fill in the blank, or because I have done, fill in the blank, that Jesus doesn't want me or can't use me, or wouldn't love me. You see, we often construe these ideas of because of shortcomings on our part, it is going to limit how Jesus perceives us. You see, even though Zacchaeus was physically unable to see Jesus, he was not going to be turned away. He wanted to see Jesus. So he devises a plan so that he can actually see Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And he, that Zacchaeus, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. You see, as Jesus is moving down the street, Zacchaeus takes it upon himself to find a way to see Jesus. Using brute force was not going to work. He couldn't push his way through the crowd. Politely trying to work his way through the crowd, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, to try to get to the front, that was not an option either. He wasn't well-liked. He wasn't very big. So none of those options were going to help him get to the front of the line. You know, when I, when I read that, one of the things that kind of come to my mind is, you know, as a parent, um, or even as a grandparent, or even as an aunt or an uncle, you know, if you have little kids with you, and you're at, a, you're at an event where being able to see is very important. I, I was thinking of like a parade or at a sporting event. You want them to get to the, front of, to the front of that line so that they can see everything that's going on, so they can take it all in. That, that's kind of the imagery that I have here. Um, you, you want your child to be at the best spot so when the action begins to come their way, they can see what's going on. Zacchaeus' sole purpose is he wants to see Jesus. 
So pay close attention, though, to what has taken place in verse 4. He ran ahead, he climbed a tree, and he placed himself in the pathway of Jesus. He found his spot. Now, don't let his actions become too casual for you. Because it's very easy to literally run through this section, this, this passage of Scripture, to get to kind of the end of what is taking place here. But I want us to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and, and really kind of take in what Zacchaeus has done here. Remember who Zacchaeus was from verse 2. He was a chief tax collector and he was a wealthy man. So I have to stop and I have to ask a couple of questions here. Culturally, did government officials run anywhere in public? Especially ones that were kind of in a, in a high position like Zacchaeus was. Did rich men run anywhere in public? Did government officials climb a tree? Did rich men climb a tree? But yet, here we see Zacchaeus doing those things. Uh, I mean, we would, you know, we could probably see uh, a kid doing those type of things, or we could maybe see, you know, uh, a journalist who's trying to get the, the exact shot, get the perfect shot. We could, we could certainly imagine them doing something like that, but but not a rich man, not a, not a high-ranking official. That just, that doesn't make sense. That's like saying two plus two equals bananas. I mean, it just doesn't seem to add up. But here we see Zacchaeus doing just that. So there must be something really into what Zacchaeus is wanting to see in Jesus. Sycamore trees had, had very strong, low-hanging branches that made climbing them not that difficult, even for short people. But while it was not too difficult for Zacchaeus to climb the tree, I want to draw your attention briefly to a comparison. Just briefly, though. Back in Luke chapter 5, where we were earlier, and talking about the, you know, the, the, para the paralyzed man and his friends who had brought him to see Jesus, the paralyzed man couldn't see Jesus either. But he had friends who... We're going to do everything they could to get him access to Jesus, to get him to see Jesus. But when we look at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't have those friends that could help him get to the front of the line, that could make a way for him to navigate that. Zacchaeus is, is really all by himself. Uh, he, he's kind of at this alone. But he's not going to be deterred. You see, there may be times in our life where following Jesus or trying to keep our eyes on Jesus means going at it alone because there's nobody there with us to help us, to encourage us, to point us in the right directions, to literally lift us up. Now that may literally be true. We may not have those people with us or it just may feel that way. We may feel like we're alone. We may feel like we're kind of on this island by ourselves. It may mean that following Jesus makes us an outcast by society's definitions. But let me encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. Don't let the crowd block your view of Jesus. Run after Him. Don't let people hinder you from seeing Jesus. Scripture tells us time and time and time again that if we seek after Him, He will draw near to us. What does it mean to draw near to Christ. Well, I want to take you briefly over to the book of Colossians, 
Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. That means that our focus, while things may be happening around us, our focus needs to be on pursuing Christ because it is in the pursuing of Christ that we gain perspective of really what's happening around us and we're more sensitive to the needs that are around us. John Piper captures this idea of seeking after Christ this way. It is the conscious fixing or focusing of our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God, being consumed by Him. Warren Wiersbe says this, Pride keeps people from trusting Christ. And what we see with Zacchaeus' actions is that he is putting behind him all pride in himself. I mean, he's running. He's climbing a tree. He desperately wanted to see Jesus. So as we come to verse 5, this, this much-anticipated intersection between Jesus and Zacchaeus takes place. And this is really where I want to spend some time looking at, at this, this interaction that Zacchaeus and Jesus have. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus came exactly the way that Zacchaeus had anticipated he would. Now it may have been the main road, maybe main street, I don't know. But whatever the case, Jesus walks in to Zacchaeus's path. Or better yet, Zacchaeus is actually in Jesus' path. As the scene begins to build, not only was Zacchaeus seen by Jesus, but he was identified by Jesus. So imagine the scene, a large crowd of people walking with Jesus down the street on their way to Jerusalem. Passover was approaching, so the hustle and the bustle of the streets was building with each day. And as they are meandering their way through the streets, all of a sudden, Jesus looks up into a tree. Now, if you're in the crowd with Jesus, walking along with Him, and He stops and He begins looking up, there's a good chance that everybody's going to look up as well. It's kind of like if you're, in a, if you're in a crowd or you're in a big setting, and somebody begins to point up and look, there's a good chance other people are going to do that as well. So now... All eyes are focused on Zacchaeus. Now, those locals would certainly know who he was, whether that was because of his occupation or whether he had because he had the nice house on the hill or he had lakefront property. Zacchaeus would have easily been identifiable by the people in the area. Someone who was too short to see through the crowd was now the focus of the crowd. Someone who came seeking Jesus is now seen by Jesus. Someone who tried to get ahead of the crowd has now stopped the crowd. Not to over-dramatize the scene, because I don't, I don't think this was an hour-long conversation. I think it was a very brief interaction. However, the point is, Jesus took notice, and that should bring us great encouragement. Jesus sees you. He sees you where you are. He knows where you are. You see, when Jesus locks eyes with Zacchaeus, I have to wonder what Zacchaeus thought. I wonder if he thought, this is not exactly how I had imagined this. Or maybe he was just so focused on Jesus that he had blocked everything else and everybody else around him. 
And I think it was actually probably the latter. You see, before we look at what Jesus does, let's look briefly at what Jesus does not do. He does not ask for His name. He does not ask why He's up in a tree. He does not ask what He does for a living. He does not ask how much money He has. He doesn't ask what family He come from. That's not what matters to Jesus. What Jesus does do, though, is He calls Him by name. Jesus looks up and He says, Zacchaeus. How did Jesus know His name? There's no indication anywhere in Scripture that they had ever met before or had previous encounters. And I think this should also bring us great encouragement. Not only does Jesus know where we are, but Jesus knows you by name. I wonder when the last time Zacchaeus heard his name called in a positive way. I wonder when the last time Zacchaeus heard that someone wanted to go to his house. Jesus called him by name. Do you long to hear your name called? Let me be very clear tonight. There is one who is calling your name. Frank, Sam, Corey, Karen, Elizabeth, Susan, William, Anita. And that one that is calling your name is Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus knew that the cross was coming soon and His time on earth was drawing to a close. After calling Him by name, Jesus gives two direct commands to Zacchaeus. The first was to hurry and to make haste. Don't delay. This is the same word that is used in Luke chapter 2. Do you remember when the, when the angels came to the shepherds uh, and told them what was taking place and the shepherds hurried to Bethlehem? With it, this, is the same, this is the same word, hurry. The shepherds wanted to hurry and see Jesus. Zacchaeus hurried. Zacchaeus tells, excuse me, Jesus tells Zacchaeus to hurry. Come down out of the tree. There's urgency in Jesus' command. But why? Because Jesus said, today I must stay at your house. Now, when we think of house, the, 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 what typically comes to our mind is a physical structure uh, or maybe even our, our immediate family. And that is one of, one of the definitions. But in the New Testament, the word house, which is the Greek word oikos, actually has a, a much deeper meaning and a much deeper uh, context. And it actually meant not only your immediate family that's kind of under your roof, but it also meant your, your sphere of influence, your, your close friends, your co-workers, your business associates, those that you had direct contact and direct impact in. So when Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he wanted to stay at his house, Jesus is telling Zacchaeus he wants to be involved in every aspect of Zacchaeus' life everything that he had, all of the relationships that Zacchaeus had, Jesus wants to be a part of that. So this is not a quick drive through Zacchaeus's house, if you will. Um, th this, is, this is an investment. Jesus is telling Zacchaeus that he is coming into his world, every part of it, and he's not going to leave. He's going to be a part of it. You know, I, I, when we look at verse 5, I, I think it relates back to verse 3. 
Zacchaeus was physically trying to see Jesus by climbing a tree. But Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was actually trying to see him. You see, Jesus not only knew Zacchaeus' name without ever having met him, but he also knew Zacchaeus' heart. But notice the urgency of Jesus' command. Hurry! The time to listen is now. The time to obey is now. The time to respond is now. The time to commit is now. The time to turn to Jesus is now. So when we get to verse 6, we find out what Zacchaeus did. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. The Amplified Version renders verse 6. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and welcomed Jesus with joy. Did you hear that? Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus with joy. I'm going to go out on a limb, pun intended, I guess, and say that this was a new experience for Zacchaeus. It wasn't the look of Jesus that brought him joy. It wasn't the conversation with Jesus that brought him joy. It was in the walking with Jesus that brought him joy. Now when we get to verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now we're not told who the they are, but similar language in Luke chapter 5 as well as Luke chapter 15 seem to indicate that at least in part, part of this they included uh, the Pharisees. And here's why I wanted to read that verse before going back to verse 5 and 6. When Jesus told Zacchaeus to come down because he was going to stay at his house, was Jesus aware of the response from the they? Absolutely he was. But he did it anyway. When Zacchaeus quickly responded and joyfully welcomed him, was Zacchaeus aware of the potential response from the they? Absolutely. He'd heard about them before. Did that stop either of them? Absolutely not. That's why verses 5 and 6 should encourage us. You see, when it comes to a personal walk and a personal relationship with Jesus, it's all about Him. It's not about anybody else. It's not about what anybody else thinks. It's not about what anybody else says. It's not what anybody else does. And it's certainly not about us. It's all about Him. When we come to verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now we could spend a substantial amount of time here, but that's another lesson for another day. Suffice it to say that a change had taken place in Zacchaeus' life, and he is outwardly responding to an inward transformation that has taken place. He is now a new creation, as Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, and it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away, and behold, new things have come. As we begin to kind of bring our time together to a close, let's look at the conclusion of this scene, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he 
too is a son of Abraham, and that is Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus closes this out with reminding everyone. Well, He's reminding everyone there as well as He is reminding us today of why He came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Or those that don't have a personal relationship with Him. That's what being lost means. Let the weight of verse 10 seek in for just a moment. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When we were first introduced to Zacchaeus, he was a short little man who couldn't see Jesus. But once he was willing to leave behind who he was, he went running, he climbed a tree, certainly not a behavior that is characteristic of someone of his position. So he literally he began to turn away from who he was. Once he began to do that, he went running to Christ, literally running to see Jesus. Once he met Jesus, he did come running. Remember, he hurried out of the tree and ran to Jesus because he saw who Jesus was. Not just physically, but spiritually. So let me ask a question. Are you seeking Jesus? Are you trying to see Jesus? Let me ask a different question. Have you found yourself saying this year, is there more to it than this? Is is there more to this life than what is going on around me? You know, for the past several months, we've been battling uh, a pandemic that has literally reached the entire globe. Whether, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, it, it, it's no disparaging of either one. Whether you live in a glamorous house or whether you live in a slum, it doesn't matter. You know, it reminds me a lot of sin. Sin reaches the entire world, no matter your status, no matter your standing. We are all impacted by sin. We are all exposed to it. We're all vulnerable to it. And we are all sinners. So is there more to life? And I want to answer that question with a resounding yes, absolutely. Absolutely there is more to this life. You see, Jesus was on His way to the cross in, the, in our passage this evening. And He was going to the cross because He was going to pay the penalty of your sin and of my sin. You see, sin is the, is the disease that each of us has that separates us from a relationship with God the Father. We're born into this world with it. Nothing we can do can fix it. Jesus came, left His throne in heaven, came as a perfect, spotless, baby, grew up living a sinless life, and then gave His life on a cross. He died on the cross to take your sin and my sin. He paid that penalty. He was placed in a grave, and then three days later He showed His power 
over the grave through His resurrection. He was seen by hundreds of people and then He ascended into heaven where He is sitting right now praying on your behalf and on my behalf to God the Father. Scripture tells us that He is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding which means He is praying on behalf of you and on behalf of me. And by us admitting that we are a sinner separated from God by our sin, if we admit we're a sinner, turn away from our sin, which we call that repentance, placing our faith in who Jesus is and what He did on the cross, then we can have an eternal relationship with Him. Now, maybe we already have that relationship with Him, but, but we have strayed away from that. We have, we have fallen in love with things of the world, so to speak, and we have turned our back on Christ. I encourage you today to repent of your sins. Confess those to God. Tell God that you know, you're sorry for those things that you have done that have put a wedge between you and Him. Ask Him for forgiveness. Scripture tells us if we ask Him for forgiveness, He will forgive us. And that relationship with Him will be restored and our walk with Him will, will become joyful once again. I want to close with this. Do you remember Zacchaeus' response? when Jesus called him down from the tree. He came down from the tree, hurriedly ran to Jesus, and then he welcomed Jesus joyfully. Joy was his response. There are many today who are seeking joy. There are many today who are seeking peace. There are many today who are longing to hear their name called. All of that can only be found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you, if you have not made that decision, learn from Zacchaeus and hurry. Run to Christ. Turn away from your old life. Chase after Christ. Pursue Him. Walk with Him. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He is seeking after you, my friend. Will you seek Him? Let's close in prayer. Most gracious God, I just thank You for who You are. I thank You for Your sacrifice on the cross but with Your very life. Dear God, help us to reflect You in all that we do. I pray if there's anyone hearing this message that has not accepted You as Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day. I pray that they will not delay. I pray that they will make haste pray that they will run to you. And if there's someone that's listening to this message that has accepted you as Lord and Savior, but has turned away from you, I pray that today is the day that they turn from their ways, repent, and run back to you. Dear God, please forgive us for when we fail you. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Have a wonderful day. God bless.